Doing good? Okay, you can get your worship guides out and prepare to take some notes. You're going to get a lot out of today's message. And if you want, you can follow us on Uversion as well. Uh, free Bible app. You should definitely download that. It's great for your daily devotion, but also for days like today when the whole service guide is inside that. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I just want to welcome you to Connect. Uh, happy 4th of July, the day after. Did everybody have a great weekend? It's a much prettier day today, though, isn't it? Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So glad to have you in church today. Um, we're going to continue our series entitled Home. Um, before I get going in that, though, I do want to follow up on something that I said last week. How many were here last week? Raise your hand good and high if you were here last week. Awesome. If you weren't last week, oh, I just got to tell you, go back. I want you to get a CD that's free in the lobby before you go out today. Uh, it's an all-place uh, message. It's called Living Single, but it's actually uh, beneficial to everybody. Uh, who would agree with that? Can I have a hoorah? Uh, so get that. It's actually a precursor to today's message. So I'm going to, I'm going to build on last week's today. But one of the things that I said last week that I wanted to follow up on, and I kind of called an audible right in the middle of the service, didn't talk to my staff about it. So there, um, but, um, we were talking about marriage and how sometimes our foundations can influence, uh, you know, the success of our families and home life later. And what if we could kind of, what if we could have a restart? What if we could have a reboot? Or what if we could rekindle, recommit the relationship? And so I uh, just encourage people who would like to kind of go back and or renew their commitment to their spouse uh, that we were going to have a service uh, just to renew our vows. So it's not a wedding, but it's a, uh, it's a marriage ceremony. And we're going to do that on July 26th. So right here in the service. Uh, many people actually were interested and filled out connection cards for that, and I appreciate that, to tell me you would be interested. But now I'm going to ask you to take that next step and formalize that, that interest into a commitment. So if you're interested in committing to publicly renewing your vows in the middle of our services on July 26th, uh, we're going to do that right in the middle of the service, okay? And so we'll do identical services, the 915 and the 1115. I'm going to do a message. I'm going to talk about what marriage is all about. And then at the end of the message, we'll have people come down the aisle, and everybody will renew their vows right here at the front uh, of the uh, altar and recommit their lives to God and to each other. Isn't that awesome? So if you're interested in doing that, if you're married, by the way, you want to be married for that, uh, this, so this isn't a wedding, this is a renewal of, of people who are married, uh, that would be a great, great service to participate in, and we're really excited. Make sure you sign up in Guest Central today. If, you don't, if you're not sure, but you know you want to talk about it with your spouse, uh, then please do that quickly, and then just call the office uh, and let them know that you're interested, because we want to make preparations for you. Uh, how do you address that day? You know, all the kind of, those kind of questions, you can, um, you can just call our office, and we'll help you with that. But basically, um, you, don't, you don't have to wear a wedding dress. You can wear a wedding dress. You don't have to wear a tuxedo. You can wear a tuxedo. Uh, just make sure you're wearing something, Okay. <laughs> That's important. Amen? Amen. So today, we're going to just continue um, the message we started last week, Living Single. This is Living Single Part 2. And if I was to put a motto to this, it would be called A Better Way, A Better Way. And I was thinking about, you know, uh, the whole dating scene that people are in today, or the lack thereof, maybe, and how it's changed. And uh, uh, how many have heard some really bad pickup lines before? Anybody heard some really bad pickup lines? Uh, yeah, there's a tons of those out there. So this is a dumb joke, but I'm just going to get it out anyway, just to open us up. But there was, there was a mushroom that walked into a bar. Yes, he just said a mushroom. 
a mushroom walks into a bar and he sits next to a beautiful girl and he, he offers her a few of his best lines. It's not working. And so then he, he, all he had was a few cheap lines and it's not working. And, and uh, basically the girl just says, you know, get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And the mushroom replies, you know, well, what's the matter? I'm a fun guy. Some of you are still looking like for what was that? Anyway, all right. Well, it wasn't that great. That's what happens when you make up jokes. Um, so, so I'll continue. We're in our series home, and basically the premise for the series is that a house is built, but a home is where the heart is. And so what we're we're talking about is that a house sometimes is brick and mortar and wood glue and nail guns and things like that to build it. But a house is built on wisdom. A house is built on uh, relational practices and principles, and we need those. In your notes, Proverbs 24, 3 says, it takes wisdom to have a good family. It takes understanding to make it strong. And the New Living Translation says, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. I have found that a lot of times we don't see uh, homes being built on good sense. At least they don't seem to have common sense isn't so common anymore, is it? And so today we're going to talk again to a particular group of people, um, maybe divorcees, people who are single, who haven't entered a relationship or have been in and out of several relationships or failed relationships, uh, never married, young, old. This is going to be for you, but it also has truths that are timeless, that are universal, that will help everybody. And actually, whether you're single now or not, you're going to see that you could play a role in a single person's life. In fact, I kind of have a a sub, uh, you know, kind of a side message, an under the hood message, and that is to get the church to get past just being friendly and get to a place where it's actually a family where we all see that we're supposed to protect one another and care for one another and play a role in the successful relationships of one another. Can I have an amen out there? And so I hope that when you're listening to this, you just don't check out and say, well, that's not for me because I'm here in my journey relationally. No, but you see, you're supposed to play a role in somebody else's journey so they can get to where you are. Amen? So anyway, we believe that God's word has principles in it that are timeless and true. Instead of looking at it as old school, which is what most people would say in culture today, I would just say let's put old school in a new school skin, a new school package, uh, a new school kind of feel and flow. And so that's kind of what I'm going to try to do. And whatever I don't do, you go ahead and take this information and you contextualize it for you. And you apply it to your life and your journey and where you're at. But I can tell you this, and I've said this before, and some things are worthy of teaching multiple times. And that is, I believe that we are the sum total uh, as a person, a soul, of our experiences, our choices, and our relationships. Who I am is a result of my experiences, my choices, and my relationships. The things that are very hard to control are our experiences, uh, and sometimes our choices. But the things that we can steer the most, not necessarily stop or impede, but steer and put guardrails to and put principles to is our relationships. And if we can predetermine and predecide some of the relational guardrails for our life, then we can influence our choices and influence the outcomes of our experiences as well. Does that make sense? So relationships are so critical. Since we're made up of those three components, if we could focus on one of those areas and make them stronger and shore them up, 
what could happen in our life? It could get stronger or it could get weaker as a result of what we put into our life. Does that make sense? So that's what I want to try to do as we go forward because um, it's, it's relationships are what life is all about. And when I was thinking about this message, I, was, I had to kind of go back to go forward. You know, like, I'm going to talk about some old school values, some timeless truths today, but I had to go old school for myself. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit because some of you aren't in this place. Some of you are. For those of you who are, please help me out. But I can remember living in the 70s. Anybody out there? The 70s. Come on. Okay? So in the 70s, do you remember what it was like when, just remember the, the garb and the dress of the 70s, right? We had bell-bottom jeans. Come on, everybody. Right? We didn't have these little collar shirts. We had these massive collar shirts. And you'd fan them out. And I can remember having the fanned out collar and the leather necklace, right? I had leather necklace. You, if I had hair on my chest, I didn't back then, but I wanted to. You know, that was big, you know, back then. So you get the fanned out collars. You got the, you know, bell bottom jeans, you know, and you, you can't tell by the way. You know, you, you got the Saturday night <laughs> fever thing going on. When you go to school, you got that walk going, you know, all that stuff's going on the whole time. And uh, it was just, it, that was cool. You thought you were, you were swagtastic back then when you were dressed like that. You know what I'm saying? Feathered hair. Even the guys were like, it wasn't just Farrah Fawcett. No, I had, dude, guys, I had long hair back then. <laughs> you know, like get the, you know, the hair, a hair blower. I used a hair blower. I can't even, oh, I can't even believe it, you know. And if I went back a little bit earlier, I can remember... You know, just being younger and you play on the playground. Remember, like, you know, like Star Wars was huge, right? Come on, all, all the Star Wars junkies, you know what I mean? All the cool cats were Star Wars and all the nerds were Star Trek. Come on, you know who you are. You know who you are. All the nerds were over there playing Star Trek. Star Wars over here. Okay. All right, you know who you are. But anyway, those were good times. And I can remember during that time, the relational social scene was completely different than what it is today. I dated a girl, dated. <laughs> that wasn't even what it really was, but I had a girl that I liked, and her name was Tina. And I'm going to go ahead and just put it out there, because maybe she'll listen to this someday, and this is for you. Tina Luciani, okay? She was this cute little Italian, you know, and I liked her, and she liked me. How do you know? Did you actually talk? No, we never talked. We had people talk for us. Like, we had emissaries, you know what I mean? Like, ambassadors for our wishes and here I want you to go bring these gifts to her and see if she likes them I'd package them up and have like bubble yum and hubba bubba you know and you'd <laughs> anybody know what I'm talking about and I like oh hubba bubba and then inside would be one of those notes like a flower you know like you know I'm you know and it'd be like you'd open up five different ways and roses are red and violets are blue and you know if I look like you I go to a zoo and all that kind of stuff is in there and inside that would be a note say, do you like me? Yes or no? Check the box. <laughs> that was the social scene, baby. And it was serious. And that went on for months, you know, of committed relationship with Tina Luciani. <laughs> we used to live across the reservoir from each other, and I'd see her from afar, and, you know, I'd, like, wave to her. And then the next day, I'd write a note, did you see me? Did I see you? Ah, you know, and that was all, that was the relationship. And so there was a part of that when I was reflecting and reminiscing and looking back that I miss because the, the relational scene was so simple. It was so uncomplicated. It was, it was really so innocent and, and so pure in a way. And I, I just would say, as we go forward, the reason for telling you that there's something from the past that maybe we can still plop into the present 
and let it kind of implode from the inside out in our lives. The Bible says in Romans 12, look at your notes, it says, do not copy the behaviors or customs of this world. Now, when you think of that in a social scene that we're in today, that has a lot of relevance, but it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? You think. So change has to come up here in order for us to change anything that's going on out here. So I'm going to offer you some things that have amazing side effects if you'll implement them. But I'm saying to you that while we might not have control over our, over, uh, our methods, let's make sure that we keep our message sacred and the same. I think we can do some things with the methods, though, that can make the sacredness of the message have application in our life and changes. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Stop fooling yourselves if you think you're wise by this world's standards. So if you think you got it all figured out, in other words, when you're on the throne of your life, calling the shots for your life, determining what's best for your life, stop fooling yourself is what the Bible's saying. If you think you're wise, you're missing it. You'll have to become a fool if you want to do it God's way. You have to become a fool. You're, in, a, in a sense, you're going to have to say you're living old-fashioned. You're living backwards so you can become wise by God's standards. And Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, you know the verse, but it basically says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So in my opinion, most relationships that we see today, it's a losing battle. Statistically, we talked about this last week, I gave overwhelming evidence to suggest to you that the way things are going, the trajectory that things are on in terms of how we're responding to previous generations relationally is we're losing the battle in relationships. We're losing the next generation. And we're seeing, and you know this to be true, and I saw this in my own life, but it's, it's even more so today, we're seeing kids experience and experiment with things that I didn't even understand or comprehend until I was an adult. I can remember as a young person, uh, because of the way I was raised, being exposed to some things in school that people were talking about, and I didn't know what they were talking about. I can remember the shame and the embarrassment of that, not knowing what they were talking about. But, it was, but in contrast, I'll take that any day of the week to guard or protect somebody's innocence, because innocence is a precious commodity that has been lost today way too early. And maybe, maybe God is trying to not restrict us, but to protect our innocence because there's a bigger picture and there's a bigger end game than just being able to experience everything and be exposed to everything prematurely. And so there are some principles I think we got to grab hold of. And so when we talk about whatever you, word you want to call it, dating, courtship, you know, all those things, I want to just present a big idea to you. Write this down and if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, go ahead and write this down. <laughs> but here's the principle. Here's the principle. You play like you practice. You play like you practice. Now, I'm going to assume something, but I'll just do a little parenthetical. My dad used to say when I was playing basketball, I'd say, Dad, come on, watch me shoot this layup, and I'd do the over and under hook, alley-oop, and the bladder, and all the, actually, I didn't alley-oop. I didn't have, I had white man's disease. My feet were planted on a firm foundation. But, but, when, but he would always say, you know, it's not practice that makes perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect. So sometimes we can practice something the wrong way, and, of course, we're not going to get good results. So assuming that we're doing it God's way, you, you will get the best results. But r- r- you play like you practice. So practice is so important. What ultimately is going to happen in your life in the game, the big game situation is going to be preceded by how you practice before that. So dating, for example, is the pre-game show. It's the before the big game, marriage and family and home. 
But dating, for, for example, didn't show up on the scene in America until the 20s. Right? Somewhere in the 1920s. That's when it showed up. And it was an outcry from the younger generation to seize control, to get freedom. In essence, and this is history, not me, not Bible. It's basically, it was a, it was a rebellion against control. We want to choose who we're going to love. Now, I'm not saying I agree with this particular next point, but I just want you to know this is what, this is what history says. Relationships were less about immediate love and they were more about legacy historically. In other words, arranged relationships and arranged marriages were to make sure that things would outlast that one particular person. It would go on generation after generation after generation. What's good about that is people were always thinking ahead, not just thinking immediate. Does that make sense? Nobody wants to say yes because it's like, well, what does that mean if I say yes? Am I lock and load? So this brand new idea surfaced as, a, as kind of a, a response to just, I want control. I want to be able to make up my own mind. And a lot of things have happened since that that have begun to unravel the success, in particular the commitments of relationships. For example, just a simple illustration, and I've used this before, but let's just, let's just design a little story. Once, once upon a time, boy meets girl. I think anybody can relate to this regardless of the generations that are represented in this room. A boy meets girl, boy sees girl, boy likes girl, boy sees girl as pretty. Pretty girl smells good too. Boy likes walking by her smelling pretty girl. Boy ultimately asks out pretty girl to go on a date. Girl, girl says, yes, I will, but you have to pay for my date. That's different today. So then boy says, holy cow, I need a job to be able to do that. So he saves up money, gets up a certain amount of money, takes girl out on a date, go to a nice restaurant, girl tests boy's abilities, buys everything on the menu, appetizers all the way through to dessert. Boy's nervous, not sure he could pay for date, ultimately comes through by the skin of his teeth, has enough pennies to put, put, you know, pay the bill. At the end of the date, the girl, so impressed with boy, says, boy, why don't you come over apartment and let's watch TV together. They watch TV together. As they're watching TV on the couch, they start to look googly-eyed at each other. One thing leads to another. Two of them staring at each other begin to kiss. Kiss leads to kissing. And before you know it, kissing leads to doing things that only married people would do. And then that leads to repeating the cycle over and over again and multiple dates. Ultimately, boy and girl slip into living together arrangement. This living together arrangement repeats over and you know the process and doing married things that you know that 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 you would only normally do as a married couple. But one day, boy meets other girl and breaks up with present girl. Girl's heart is hurt. She feels horrible. In her hurt, she rebounds and finds another boy. This happens again and again. They keep repeating the process over and over until boy and girl meet their own special boy and their own special girl. And ultimately, they're convinced he's the one and she's the one. And then they get married and everything seems good at first and months and sometimes even years go by until ultimately it doesn't work out. They break up and they get divorced. Now, this story is not an uncommon story. Why? Because they're simply repeating what they did in the past. How you play is because of how you practice. And my point in sharing this primitive, perhaps exaggerated illustration is simple. Our culture is simply seeing the fruit of its, its ideals, its principles regarding relationship, and it's crushing people's hearts. 
and it's, pro- it's, it's over-promising, and it's under-deliver, and, and we're receiving anything but happiness. And then you come into the church of Jesus Christ, and either nobody's talking about it at all, or when they are talking about it, they're not talking about it as a better way, and they're certainly not doing it in a non-condemning way. And that's sad, but there is a better way. And so what I want to present to you is maybe God's original, not designed for marriage, but original design for coming together before marriage. Maybe you call it biblical dating, courtship, whatever you want to call it. I know this will be old school, so you apply it in a new school context. But I want you to just think. I want you to bring contrast to your own experience and your own life as you go forward. I want you to be the ultimate before you meet your mate. See, see, God, in, in, in the book of Genesis, when Adam was alone, God said it's not good for, for Adam to be alone. But here's what's interesting, and what you need to know is he wasn't lonely, he was alone. Those are two mutually different words. Lonely is like a vacuum, a, a void, a, 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 a black hole that's saying fill this, but you never can. Alone is two words put together, all one See, so that's why one plus one in God's economy equals a whole marriage. One plus one, and God doesn't just add this person to you. He multiplies through the two of you something great. Two can do more for God, but you still need to be whole. You still need to be one. And basically what you see, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the sun. And it's saying that some things are appropriate sometimes, and they're inappropriate at other times. Back in the day when, when, when this particular text was being written, what, in a Jew, Jewish custom, Jewish couples would actually come into relationship and they would have like a, uh, a covenant, a, a covenant of betrothal. In other words, before you even married, in today's world, it, if it was modernized, our marriage today was like their betrothal. There was intense commitment even before they were actually wed together. In fact, they would go into a season of preparation, the, the boy, the girl, the man, the woman, and they would go into a, a time of fasting. So instead of coming together during their uh, pre-marriage conditions, getting together, living together, spending all kinds of time together, doing things that married people do, no, they would actually come apart from each other. They would actually separate. They would actually fast. They would actually go into a season of preparation. Write this down. This is important for you to, to remember. Back then, it was, more, it was less about finding the right person. It was more about becoming the right person. Back then, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, where is he? Where is he? Oh, my gosh, I'm 30 years old. I better hurry up. The clock is ticking. No, it was focused on you getting ready to be wed, not focused on finding the person. And we totally see this, it's totally different today. We prepare for future jobs. We prepare for temporary projects, hobbies, sports, athletics. But in the most important and essential arenas of life, relationship, we rarely go into a season of preparation. We just fall into it. We see what I call missionary dating. Girl, want, she wants to find a guy, but the guy's not in the environment, the godly environment that she, she's looking for. She can't see him, so she goes out to find him. She missionary dates. I can change him later. Good luck. It doesn't work too well, vice versa. You know, guy trying to find girl, it doesn't work out so well. But back then, the dad, the father, would train his son. It was his responsibility to train the son in the principles of scripture and integrity and how to be a godly leader. He taught, he's supposed to teach him that, 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 that godliness is, is sexy. 
So did he just say that? Did he put those two words together? Yes, because when you are a godly man, it's attractive to the right woman. I should get a better amen out there. Everybody's being real quiet, but that was a good one, okay? Not only would the father train on the inside of the man, but he would test him on the outside. So one of the responsibilities for a father to son is the father would give the son the assignment of building a house that would attach to the parent's house. Now, this room that he would attach to the parent's house was where they would spend their first night, their honeymoon. Now, number one, I don't necessarily think that's a good tradition to attach your house to your parent's house and then get married. And I certainly don't think it's the best place to have your honeymoon. But that's what they did, okay? But this was more about this test of building this room. This room was known as the Huppa, the Huppa. And that's where where they had their honeymoon. That's why they call it Huppa, Huppa, Huppa. You know what I'm... Nobody gets that. Anyway, that's okay. Huppa, huppa, huppa. Uh, but but he would, the father would test the, uh, the integrity of the home, make sure it was done, met, met certain specifications and specs. And it was just, and so if you went to the son and you said, hey, when are you, when are you guys getting married? The son would say, you'd have to check with the father. When he says it's okay, that's when it would happen. That's the, that was the custom at this particular time. On the other side, the mom would be preparing the future bride, the daughter. Spending time with her, you know, making sure that she was uh, emotionally and, and uh, relationally and in particular physically prepared uh, in her purity. She, they, they would go into kind of a strict um, season of purity. In fact, uh, the greatest gift back then that you could give a husband was your purity. Hands down, it was the greatest gift of all. And so they would keep you and protect you to the best of their ability. And, and people just think that's not a big deal today. Uh, but I, I think if you asked yourself certain questions and you put things in a certain context, and if you thought about it with your own spouse or you thought about it if you have daughters, it's amazing how people have kind of double standards. But I remember meeting with a guy recently, uh, not too long ago, I should say, in this church, and a couple from this town, they'd been married for several years, things seemed okay, and then one day he asked his wife if he could go to a bachelor party for another one of his buddies that were getting married. And so he goes to this bachelor party, and basically what happened was it rekindled a lot of the uh, unhealthy practices that he had participated in before he got married. He actually hooked up with some wrong people of the opposite sex. One thing led to another, and over a period of months, their marriage unraveled, and the thing is just exploded. As a, and, and here's the reason I tell you that is because a lot of times the moral of the story is what we do before marriage can, can influence what's happening during the marriage. And so if you could get a preparation mentality where you just don't minimize what's happening before and see that it doesn't have a major impact on what happens later. I'll just use myself in this, and I did this last service in, in, in somewhat reluctantly, but I want to be somewhat transparent. But I, I'm ashamed to say I didn't go down the aisle a virgin, okay? I, I wish I could have uh, lived God's standard. I'm sure many of you are, would be in the same camp. Maybe some of you haven't. It's usually, we're usually, people who are and walk down the aisle pure are usually a minority. But God bless them. But in any event, I, I didn't. And so before marriage... What was happening in the sexual relationship that I was having, it was, it was exciting, it was, but it was illicit, meaning a lot of the reward was coming because it was, it, was, it was in the dark. It had a thrill to it. Then after the marital line, after covenant, when it became legal, now for before, just for lack of better terms, it was illegal before God, inappropriate. After it was appropriate or legal, suddenly it lost its excitement. We had to restore 
the innocence that God wanted us to have in the first place to be able to bring into the relationship what God wanted all along, which was intimacy, not just pleasure. There's three reasons sex was created, pleasure, procreation, and unity. The highest level, the highest purpose of sex was unity, intimacy. And I can just tell you, just to be completely honest, it's been hard work after marriage to get to a place of intimacy because of what happened before marriage. And God isn't trying to restrict us. He's trying to protect us and and keep what he originally intended, which you really want, by having a temporary season of protection so you can, and preparation so you can have the blessing and reward after. Does anybody get what I'm saying there? I hope you guys get what I'm saying there, but it, you don't have to agree with it, but I think it makes sense, and I'm speaking from someone who's done it the wrong way, because in the past, there was a process to marriage. It was a big process, and so sometimes we have to predetermine what we're going to do in our relationships. Not only was there a father and mother role in the preparation, but there were, the friends had a role. The key influences in your life had a role. And this is the application to the church. This is where the church sometimes misses. We just think everybody else just doing their own thing. That's their business. It's not my business. No, I think we should be relationally connected, given permission from people, but helping each other in our relationships. The, the wedding party that we see in marriages today, the wedding party is just a tradition that's been passed down. But the wedding party back then was a part of the betrothal process all the way through the marriage, making sure and helping them maintain their commitment to each other and to God. Now it's just kind of like people just standing there on the day of. And we give a few words and a charge and say, hey, do this and do that. But it's kind of after the fact. They were always there in the beginning. What if that was there today? What would happen? But what we see today is really this on and off switch in relationships. We see it where people are just in and they're out and it doesn't seem like it's working and it's just easy to start something and stop something. And, and, and now it's, it, the process of on and off has gone from I gave a girl my class ring and now I don't really like her anymore or I gave her my, my, uh, my letter jacket like it was when I was in school and, and I'd say, oh, you know, if you had a defined relationship, that's my girlfriend over there drowning in that, you know, leather jacket. You can barely see her, you know, and she looks like a turtle in a turtle shell. But when that didn't work out, all I did was just, it was painful, but I would take back my jacket, take back my ring, and we would repeat that over and over and over again. And it's customary, the custom of this world is to have multiple relationships until we have the one, where it was the opposite. It was opposite back then. And so this on and off process, on, off, now it's gotten faster and faster and faster and faster. Now there's no commitment. There's no definition. Now we just have friends with benefits. It's just here I can give you this, but no commitment, no strings, no emotional ties, which is a lie. Even culture, even the world has understood, even the movie Friends with Benefits understood that there is an emotional connection because there's two souls that are coming together. And when those two souls come together, when you pull them apart, like I said, the super glue, it has an impact on your identity. It has an impact on their identity. And I submit to you, it actually affects other people as well. It's quiet in here. Note to the court, it's very quiet in here. Because sex... And, and intimacy is an encounter with a soul, you know? 
And so we want someday to stick with someone for the rest of our lives and never break that thing up. But because of how we, practi- how we, how we practiced, it's a, we've, just, we've come together with someone, broke it off. Come together with someone, broke it off. And if you took two pieces of duct tape together and you just did that over and over and over, eventually it's losing all its stickiness. And we wonder why we can't stick it out in our marriage later on because how we played is how we, pra- how we practiced is how we played. Does that make sense? It happens over and over again. So what does biblical courtship look like or dating look like? Let me give you three standards. You apply them, but just think about these things. Where have we come from? Where are we now? Back then, standards were extremely high. It was about having fun. Uh, yeah, but, but today it's about having fun before you get tied down. Today, it's, it's different. Back then, we would restrict for a little while so you could, so you could have enjoyment later. In other words, let's, let's pay now, play later greater was what they did back then. But we see this in other areas. Go to school, go to, go to college, go get your master's, go get your doctorate, spend all this money, pay, 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 so you can make more money later. We see that in, in educational systems. We see that in athletic systems, economic systems, and military systems, but we don't see it in social systems. But back then, we did. It was in social systems. What if we brought that back? It would be, we might have a different result. How should this, you know, play out? Well, in Song of Solomon, there's this woman, and she's going through this courtship process, and she's basically telling her, her lover, her husband-to-be, I'm not going to be like all the other girls, And she says this, she says, tell me you whom I love, talking to her future husband, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 7, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like the veiled woman? Now, there's a lot of poetic language here, but she's talking about why am I going to be like the other girls, those, those prostitutes that just give themselves over too quickly? Why should I be like the veiled woman beside the flock of your friends? She's saying, I don't play like that. You know, and so, so you can take me out on a date, you can take me up to a mountain, and, and you, can, you can turn on Barry White, and you can have the moonlight fletcherizing in the landscape, and, and you, can, you can have the aftershave and all that, but ain't going to happen here. That's kind of what she's saying. I don't go that way, and you're not going to want a girl like that later. No one, is what she's saying, wants a veiled woman for a lifelong mate. That's what she's saying. And here's why that's good. And this is what guys know in their heart of hearts. On this end, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. But on the other end, in the marital commitment, I want to I know that when I go away, her heart is with me. That I don't have to worry about her surrendering her heart to somebody else. But because of, if, if she wasn't the veiled woman, if she was the protected, guarded her heart, held a standard, extreme high standard before, then when he goes away, he knows, he has confidence that his, his heart and her heart are united and he never has to worry about that. But if she practiced differently before, in the back of his mind, he's always wondering, or vice versa, she's wondering with him. Does that make sense? Here's my second point, one of my favorites. My kids should take note of this, but families were involved in the process. Today in our culture, women are prey to predators. They really are. The stats are horrible about how men look for women that are vulnerable, weak, and hurt, and disappointed, and poor relationships with their parents, and past relationships. And this term predator is, 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 is sad, but it's true. And so in the biblical culture, though, you couldn't get to the girl until you went through the dad. And that's how it is in my house. 
You can't, you can't get to my three girls until you go through me. So I was just down in Alabama. My, wife, my, daughter, my oldest daughter is pretty far away from me, and there was some boy coming up on the radars. And I need to get my butt down to Alabama. Meet this boy, you know what I mean? And screen this thing out. But, but, but what's, what we have still in culture a little bit is, Ultimately, you got to meet dad. In other words, date, 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 build traction, build traction, build traction, maybe violate certain things that way back here we would have said were wrong, but now they're okay. So instead of changing our behavior to move to the line, we're moving our line to change our behavior, and that's all going on. Now we're going to go meet dad. It's some kind of point of honor, like he can do anything about it at this point. What it used to be like is you didn't even have the first date until you went and saw dad. And that's, that's, that's like, for example, my girls, they've all been um, invitations to proms and things like that. And so we just, it's tough. And I get it so anti-cultural and it's a little bit tough for my girls. And God bless them. They're submitted and wonderful girls. But, but um, we try not to be all scary about it. I try. I try really hard. <laughs> but the boys got to come over and, and they got to get permission. And I, they don't, I don't say, what time are you going to be home? I tell them what time they're going to be home. You know, and, and, and so the standards are high. The standards are high. And that's how it was back then. And, and girls, I think God is for you. And I, I think that, that this dating culture puts a no-win situation on a lot of women, and they got all this pressure, and you got to wait for the guy, and you got to wait for the guy. And then the guys that are coming, are, a lot of them are predators or just disgusting. And so I actually think, and this is where the familial part comes in. So if you don't have a father or a big brother in a biological sense, to me, church, listen to what I'm saying, men in particular with women, I think we're supposed to be not just the gatekeeper that says nobody can get in. And then we just wait till they're 40, 50 years old and, 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 you know, just keep everybody at bay. No, we're also supposed to be the initiator as well. And the scout. So I think it's my job to scope out prospects for my daughter. What's up? Have you checked out, you know, my, uh, my uh, oldest daughter, Mallory? You know, we need to talk. So the first date in this culture was between father and potential son, not between father, not between daughter and this guy. Interesting change. And I can tell you, I can count on one, this may sound so countercultural, I understand that, and so different, but this is just your pastor speaking. I can count on one hand the marriages that I desire to emulate, and the marriages that I desire to emulate, most of them impl- a- a- applied and did these same principles in their lives, or those were done to them. And I look at their marriage and say, I want that. I want that. And so now I integrate it now into our marriage, and I'm definitely going to be integrated into the next generation to the best of my ability. Contextualizing it and making sure it's life-giving. But I just think that things are different today because we've gotten away from some of these things. Can I have an amen? Maybe. So, so anyway, here's another, here's another thing. Access was conditional. Access was conditional. The man had to prove his worth. Uh, but the man today has totally unlimited access. The focus back then, again, was protection, protection. I heard a story about a young woman who brings home her boyfriend. He's a theology student. He was in seminary. Or you could say cemetery. Just kidding. And he... Uh, he, he, the father starts asking him some questions, and he wants to know, you know, can you take care of my daughter? And he basically says, do you own a home? He says, no, but the Lord will provide. So then the guy says, do you have a car? He says, no, but, you know, the Lord will provide. And then he says, do you have a job? He says, no, but I know that God will provide. This is the theology student, you know. So later on, the father walks away. He's kind of discouraged, and the, the wife comes up to the father later and just says, honey, you know, what, what did you think of our prospective son-in-law? You know, what's your, what's your take on this guy, and what's your opinion on this guy? And he says, well, uh, first off, he's broke. Second off, he's kind of stupid. 
And uh, thirdly, he thinks I'm God. <laughs> Getting that? Just checking, checking in there a little bit. All right. So <laughs> I just think that sometimes we got to see that there's conditions, you know, and a lot of times we're not setting standards uh, and those standards sometimes will get people to a place that they need to be, where they are whole people going into the relationship, as opposed to two broken people coming to the relationship. And, and I, think, I think what might open your eyes is not only is marriage a process, but personal growth is a process. Sex is a process. So you spend a lot of time spinning out into sex, because that's what's so, that's what's so much a part of the problem, is that we're playing house before we have a home. So, so this is what I think. I think sex, God created, and so God is a good God. Obviously, he's a good God. But again, he created it not just for pleasure. He created it within certain boundaries for our protection. But sex is a process. What do I mean? I don't believe it was something that was supposed to be, that once you start, it was ever supposed to stop. See, once God created you with this motor, men, that once it gets started, it was never supposed to stop. That's why he said, hold up right here so that when that day comes, woo, take off, baby, anytime you want. Have a ball. It's a process. It's a process that was never meant to be interrupted. And that is why it's better to never start it before it's okay to start it. And, and some of you are like, I hate this message. I want to go someplace else. This is awful. But I just think, I just think like Jesus with the woman at the well, that God knows what you really want and what you really need. So you think I want sex and I want freedom and I want control and I want to be able to decide and all that kind of stuff. God's saying, no, no, you don't want that. Behind that, you want somebody to love you just the way you are. You want true intimacy. That's what intimacy is. Intimacy isn't sex. Intimacy isn't just getting naked. Intimacy is the naked, here's who I really am. You still love me? That's what intimacy with God is. Intimacy with God is he sees all y'all, every part of you. And when you realize that God in his grace still loves you like that, you want to love him back then that produces intimacy between you and God. When you know that that's what God wants to have with you and another person, then it doesn't become about these surface things like the woman at the well, one relationship after another, one relationship after another, and the man you're still with isn't your husband, and it won't be working for you until you get living water, until you go deeper than what you're looking at. You're looking on the surface, and God is saying, I'm looking down here. Hold up on this, and I'll get you this. Oh, man, this is good. I don't know if you realize what I'm saying. So as a person living single, how should I prepare to be the ultimate? Number one, do this. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus. So this is talking about preparation. Number one, prepare your body by a focus on the external, a focus on the external. I would encourage you, not focusing on the external like the world does, but focus on raising the standard of holiness. Holiness is not unhappiness. Holiness is not, see, God's trying to say, I'm building you, making you strong, so that later you'll have more joy and more satisfaction than you can possibly imagine. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, it's God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body, and that is holy and honorable. See, relationships work 
And when you look at relationships that are second to none, that are above the bar, that, are, that, that operate at a seemingly a higher standard of intimacy, it almost always has high standards and holiness is a part of that. And I had to introduce that after the fact. And it's even harder, even harder. Number two, soul. You got to get your soul in order. This is speaking of your emotions and your mental capacities and faculties. This is a focus on the internal, the internal. And here's, here's kind of a line you can write it down in whatever words you want to, however you want to consolidate this. But the best thing you can do is to prepare yourself not to need to be married. To get ready to build a home, to have a successful, defined, committed, covenant marriage, the best thing you can do in preparation for it, again, is not looking for someone, it's becoming someone. It's about getting to a place where you don't need someone else. I can remember doing a marriage retreat one time with my wife years ago. We were in a good phase in our relationship, and we had a Q&A time, and the people said, uh, tell us, you know, does Derek do a good job meeting your needs? As soon as they said that, my pride stepped up and said, oh, this is going to be good. You know, she's going to be talking good about me. And she goes, no. And then there's this little pause, and she goes, because I don't expect him to. Because that's not his job. I take my needs, and I go to God with them. I don't expect him to meet all my needs. See, so that's, that same principle after marriage is the same principle we need to have before marriage. We don't back our dump truck up on somebody, all our emotions and all our baggage on another person. We got to get whole in our soul to have a successful relationship. And you see this in marriages too. We call them in counseling, A-frame, H-frame, and M-frame. An A-frame marriage is when two people, this is the world's paradigm, you know, you complete me. You're my better half. You're my other half. That's what an A-frame is. So when one half fails, falls, which is a reality and, and, and inevitability and eventuality, when that half fails, what happens to the other part of the frame? Ba-boom. You see this all the time. They're codependent relationships. Then you see, you see these H-frame relationships. The only thing they're connected by, if I had my wife up here, we would just be, hold, we'd just be touching the tip of our hands. We're completely independent. We're isolated. We're insulated. We're just independent people. And the only thing that's holding us together is a piece of paper, a contract that is very easy to be broken. But God wants us to have an M-frame relationship where we're standing side by side holding hands. We are interdependent. We love God. We express our love for God through our relationship with one another. The power of our testimony is multiplied in our marriage, not minimized by our marriage. Does that make sense? That's, the only way that that can be possible is if we are whole internally, emotionally. Uh, there's a stability where we take, our, we take our problems, we take our issues to God, and then we work it out in relationship with each other. Does that make sense? Here's another thing. Write this down. I'm going to be quick, okay? Here's, here's a piece of advice, especially for singles, and this is great for dads and moms and coaching other people. Make sure in a relationship that the two of opposite sex are directionally matched, directionally matched. It's kind of like another way to say that is vision alignment. In other words, if I feel called to be a missionary, but Stacy feels called to be a CEO of a company in corporate America, we're not directionally matched. I'm going to Africa, you know, and she's going to Wall Street. That's going to be an issue. So I'm talking to a guy, he's, he's the same, age, same age as me, 40-something years old, and he was uh, single, and he's dating a girl that he met overseas in Brazil, and you know, he says, she loves Jesus, and they're in love, blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, tell me some more about her. I says, you know, what are, what are some of the red flags? Oh, I don't know. They're in red. What are some of the yellow flags? Well, I mean, she doesn't go to church. I'm like, dude, you've been in ministry your whole life. You feel called to ministry, and she doesn't go to church? You don't have, you are not directionally matched. 
And so, so this is what happens. A lot of times we get sidetracked because we don't see that God wants us to be united in thinking as well as our purposes. Amen? Amen. Here's the last point, spirit. A focus on, in this case, the eternal. Eternal. And this is minimized all the time. This is the part that gets, sometimes gets lost. And, and so sometimes we get disillusioned as singles, and we're just like, oh, gosh, it's going on and on and on. And, and, uh, and we're, not, we're not doing some of the things that I was talking about. But, but ultimately, your goal is heaven. Heaven, not earth, is your home. Uh, you, don't, you, don't have, you, don't, <laughs> you don't have Jesus in your life, and, the, and, the, and then the Bible says you don't really have life. If you want life, you have to have the Son. If you want to be able to live the life here on earth the way uh, that you need to, to apply some of these things, and they're not be impossible for you to do, you're going to have to have the Son. 1 John 5 says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And what culture keeps teaching us is, and teaches us backwards, go find him, find her, and then I'll surrender to him. When God's saying, surrender to him, then I'll help you find her or find him. Or they'll find you because you found him and he was first in your life. Matthew 22 says, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I, I've seen a lot of people, including myself, do it the wrong way. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you guys before we end this service today. And you can just finish your notes and put your worship guide away and then I'd like you to just stand to your feet if you wouldn't mind. Did you get something out of that, everybody? I hope so. I know. It's, trust me. It is so countercultural. I get it. I'm talking like Greek to some people out there right now with what you're seeing in the world today. I get it. I get it. But what we're doing doesn't work or isn't working. If it is, show me. And if there's a better way, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. I want to see it. I want to learn from it because I'm, just, I'm just, just like you. I'm trying to do a relationship better in my marriage with my kids as a pastor to you. And I just think it makes a big difference. Here's, here's one thing that I want to challenge you with as we conclude the service today that I've thought about. I have a friend that uh, just a couple of days ago died. I've known him for almost 20 years. He used to play on this worship team right behind me. And um, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. And I'm going to do his funeral on Tuesday. Very sad. Um, he's with Jesus. I believe that. He's saved. But he had a horrible, horrible life. But one thing that made his life really go bad and unravel was he tried to do life following the customs of this world. So I know Jesus in, in that I've got my eternal security and I, I've surrendered to him as Savior, but not necessarily as Lord. But I remember one day having a conversation right here in this room. He says, uh, PD, he says, um, I need to unplug I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He says, yeah, I need to take a break from church and worship team and small group. I just, I just need to unplug. I said, Tony, that is not a good idea. That's a bad idea. I, I, there's nothing you could say that's crazier than that. You don't need to unplug right now. Not, I need a break, Pastor. I need a break. And we just, we kind of had an argument. It didn't go so well. That was about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, a few days ago, me and Pastor Deej visited him and, you know, he couldn't speak to me. He was so sick. He just kind of mild you know, acknowledged that it was me. It was about it. He was just, he was just so, so sick. And um, I, I'll never forget that conversation. 
And I remember when, when God gave me the name of this church, one of the pictures that he gave me that preceded the name Connect was he showed me a power cord. And recently he said to me that it really wasn't a power cord, it's a powerless cord. When you look at a power cord, we call it a power cord or a power strip. There's no power in it at all. It's powerless. Unless it's plugged into a source and has an outlet for that power. And so I realized that people, when they get unplugged, it is so dangerous, absolutely so dangerous. And so I don't know where you're at. You, you might be like just on the fringe, you know, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with his church. My, one of my elders, Ray Lirio, was sharing with me, he was ministering to somebody who got, un, who got unplugged, who was, out on the, who was in this church, but now was on the, kind of on the fringe and suffering and trying to get back into it again, but just really struggling with some addictive behaviors. And he said to me, he says, like, people are like a leaf on a tree. They fall off the tree, and, 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 and at first, the leaf is green. It's really green. It's one day, two day, three day. You look at it, there's that green leaf. Day five, six, seven, it starts to brown. Eventually, it's totally brown. Eventually, it begins to just evaporate and crumble and disintegrate. That's what I saw with my friend, literally. I saw him brown, yellow from jaundice and discoloration. It just came so clear to me that he unplugged. He slowly, you know, disintegrated, let's just say, from this world. And so I just want to challenge you. You need to stay plugged into God for relationships to work. You need to get around godly people, and you need to get in a godly place. Don't ever, ever, ever get unplugged. Will you close your eyes and let me pray for you? If you know you're here today and you've not connected to Jesus personally, let's just say formally, where you took a moment in time and you stopped and you made a decision of your own free will to surrender control of your life to the only one who can help you navigate it and do it right and do it better, you trust me, you need a friend like that. There's no way to do this life by yourself. There's no way to do your life, this, this, this life just on the world's understanding and the customs of the world. You need a savior to come in your life. Maybe you've fallen away and you need to come back to him. If you know that's you today and you want to give and surrender your life to Jesus, I'm not going to call you down front, but I'm going to call you out. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I don't want to leave today without that assurance. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, 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 yes. Those of you listening online, God bless you, good and high. Those of you listening online, you can respond to this too. You raise your hand right behind that computer, right behind that TV. You don't miss that. You can put your hand down. Just, I want you all to say this prayer with me. And those of you that have said this before, maybe you just renew your commitment to God. Just say, Jesus, I decide today with my spiritual muscle, my free will to choose you as my Savior and Lord. I'm going to put you as the priority relationship. Above all other relationships, I put you in the highest place. Would you order? Would you orchestrate? Would you oversee all my relationships? I surrender to you, not only as Savior, but as the Lord of my life. I no longer keep you in the back seat, but I give you the wheel of my life as I go forward today and forever. In Jesus' name. Now, let me pray for you. Father, seal that prayer. Pray for every person that meant that in their heart, that you just come, that commitment that they made would bring about a true change from the inside out. Lord, would you help them apply these truths to their life and it literally transform them from the inside out. For those that committed their life to Jesus, I pray that they would feel a witness of the Holy Spirit, that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, not because of what they've done, but because of what he did and putting their faith and trust in what he did. But may that empower them to do 
what he did in this life, living for God with all their heart. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. Amen.